Well, um, I'm sure that many of you enjoy watching crime dramas and legal thrillers on TV. Can I, can I see? Are there some of you that like to do that? Yeah, quite a few of you. Um, CSI, Law and Order, the many variations of Law and Order, uh, and there are many others. Americans seem to have a pretty strong appetite for that kind of entertainment. And a uh, frequent component of plots and legal dramas is when defendants are offered an opportunity to avoid trial by agreeing to accept a plea offer, reaching a plea agreement or what we often will call a plea bargain. Uh, of course, this shows up in uh, such dramas and crime shows because this happens frequently in real life uh, as well. A plea offer or bargain, in case you're the one person who has never watched one of these shows or you've not been exposed to this in the, in the real legal system, is an agreement between a prosecutor and a defendant where the defendant agrees to plead guilty in return for some concession from the prosecutor. Uh, often, the offer is for the defendant to plead guilty to the original charge against them in return for a more lenient sentence. The defendant, having received the plea offer or plea bargain, has to decide if they believe that they can come out better by going to trial or if accepting the proposed plea agreement is the best outcome that they can hope for. Uh, probably all of us have seen those cases in these shows where the defendant is as guilty as guilty can be. Everybody watching knows they are, they know they are, they're as guilty as guilty can be. They've been offered a wonderfully lenient deal, and yet, usually due to arrogance, they convince themselves that they'll be able to get off completely free if they take the case to trial. And almost always, this proves to be a very foolish decision because the prosecution's case is almost always much stronger than the defendant allowed themselves to believe. And so when the defendant is invariably found guilty, those who saw the situation correctly, including all of us watching this drama on television, we marvel at their arrogance and we cannot believe that they were so foolish as to miss out on an opportunity that was so good, that was really too good to pass up. They had a chance to receive leniency in spite of obvious guilt, but they chose to press their hopeless case through to trial, and so the full weight of justice comes down on them. Today we're going to look at Luke 12, 54 through 59, and in these verses, Jesus talks about a situation like what plays out in these legal dramas that I've just referenced. So if you have your Bible, why don't you follow along, or it should be on the screen behind me. As I read Luke 12, 54 through 59, here's what it says. He, Jesus, said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? 
As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Paid the last penny. It's not a frequently dealt with passage of Scripture, at least in my experience it has not been. But there are some important things here, and uh, I want us to spend a few minutes on this today. Verses 57 through 59 sound like Jesus is giving legal advice, and in a sense he is. He says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And then he presents a picture of two adversaries on their way to a magistrate because of a dispute that's arisen between them. And here is Jesus' legal advice. First, he tells them, it is best to reach an agreement out of court before you make your way to the magistrate, before you make your way to the judge. He says, try to be reconciled to your adversary on the way. In other words, resolve your dispute before you get in front of the judge. Why is it that individuals and corporations alike are so often inclined to settle their cases out of court? It's often motivated for the reasons that Jesus lists here. Once you get in front of the judge, once you get in front of the magistrate, you don't know how things are going to go. And you may end up turned over to the officer and you might just end up in prison. And so it's to avoid a much worse outcome that people settle out of court. Reaching an agreement before court, though it might be costly, is often much less costly than allowing the case to go to trial. And it avoids the uncertainty that comes with taking your case to court. And this is especially true in the situation where the evidence against a defendant is clear and undeniable, when they have no defense, when their case is really hopeless. Their guilt is so obvious, so clear that their chances of prevailing in court are virtually non-existent. So Jesus is telling them it's best to reach agreement out of court, and he's warning them, please do not take a hopeless case to trial. Don't try to see a hopeless case through to the end. The tone of Jesus' comments seem to suggest that the defendant in question is as guilty as guilty can be. He says in verse uh, 59 that if they go to the judge there's a good chance the judge is going to throw them into prison and then he warns you won't get out until you've paid the very last penny and, and the word used there that gets uh, translated for us as penny is the word lepton uh, and it was the smallest sum of money in use at that time much like our penny is now and, and, and what Jesus is saying is that if you're guilty and you insist on seeing your hopeless case through Plan on being found guilty and plan on having to pay your debt in full. And at the time of Christ, it was incredibly difficult for people to get out of debtor's prison. About the only way they ever were able to get out is if someone had mercy on them and paid the debt on their behalf. And so Jesus' legal advice is settle before you get to court. Don't try to see a hopeless case through to the end because you are going to dearly pay for that error in judgment. And that's good advice. It's advice we often wish the defendant in the movies would take or in the TV shows. Maybe we've had occasions in our life where it's advice that we should have taken. 
Have any of you ever tried to go and contest a speeding ticket? You might as well not bother. You might as well not bother. You take that to mayor's court, it's not going anywhere. You know, you're, you're not going to convince the judge that the calibration of the officer's radar was off. You're just not going to be successful. You're not going to persuade them with that airtight argument that I have used at times when I was pulled off on the side of the road talking to one of our finest. What about all those other cars that were speeding? Why have you singled me out? This is an injustice. I couldn't even catch up with those other cars. Why am I sitting over here? It's not persuasive. You're better off to just pay your fine, not waste your gas money going to court. And this becomes even more true in a situation where the stakes are high and you know you're guilty. Why does Jesus talk about this? Why does he offer this advice? What's his motive for these comments? What's motivating him to share uh, these kind of thoughts with the people who were listening to him that day? Look at verse 54. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. When the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Jesus is chastising them for being so clued into things like weather and signs that point to approaching weather while being so clueless to the great opportunity that is being presented to them, specifically Jesus himself. He's talking to people who said they were waiting for, watching for, looking for their Messiah. Messiah has come, and they're missing the great moment. Daryl Bach writes, the crowd has missed the moment of God's salvific activity. Salvation, the Messiah that they claimed they were looking for, has come to them. He is standing right in front of them. Just like the warning signs of approaching weather clued them in to the reality that that weather was about to be upon them, they had all the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And yet the Messiah is right in front of them and they are missing the Messiah that the prophecies pointed to. They needed a Savior, just like I need a Savior, just like you need a Savior. Because of their sin. Because of our sin. Because of our rebellion against God. Because we have de-godded God. Their Savior has come. And they're failing to recognize the moment. They aren't recognizing him. Or, or maybe in some cases worse, they're just willfully rejecting him. In light of this, Jesus' advice had very practical implications for those he spoke to that day. And it has very practical implications for us today. And so here are some of the implications of what Jesus said in Luke 12, 54 through 59. How those who heard Jesus that day should have applied his teaching and how those of us hearing his teaching through the Bible today should apply his teaching first. They needed to know, and all of us here today need to know, that God's jurisdiction over our lives cannot be avoided. 
Jesus told them to settle the dispute before it gets in front of the authorities. Because if they don't, it's going to end up in front of the judge. Because there is a judge that has jurisdiction over people. Scripture teaches us that every man, woman, boy, and girl is going to stand before God in judgment. The one who created us, the one who sent his son to save us, he is going to judge each and every one of us, and the entire universe is his jurisdiction. You can't escape his jurisdiction. We try to convince ourselves, many do at least, that we are our only authority, but wishful thinking does not make it true. God is our judge. He is the creator of everything that is, and as such, the whole world and truly the whole universe is his jurisdiction. You and I are on an inescapable path leading us to an appearance before the judge of all the earth. There is no way for us to avoid his jurisdiction. There is no way for us to avoid where this path leads us. We will stand before the judge. And here's a really big problem that each of us have. And let me make it more personal. I include myself, but let me make it more personal. Here's a really big problem that you have. You have a really bad case. You have a really bad case. You can't escape God's jurisdiction. You're on a path that will end in standing before him in judgment, and you have a bad case. In fact, the case that you have is a hopeless case. The Bible tells us that all have sinned, and all means all, and that the wages of those sin is death. If you understand what that means, it's separation from God forever. You're as guilty as guilty can be. I'm as guilty as guilty can be. I have no defense. You have no defense. The evidence is clear, the evidence is overwhelming, the evidence is undeniable. And Jesus says that if we get in front of the judge without having reached a plea agreement, we're going to be thrown into prison. And consider what else he says. You won't get out until you've paid the last penny. Judgment is coming. And those found guilty will be imprisoned and they will not get out. You say, well, now hold on, Brian. It actually says they won't get out until they pay the last penny. So there's a chance of getting out, right? No, not right. Not right at all. Jesus is using an earthly example here. In the earthly example, there might be a chance to get out, but highly unlikely. But that isn't the key point of what Jesus is saying. The key point is that those found guilty by the judge won't get out until the debt is paid in full. And here's the, the truth, friends. When it comes to our debt with God, our sin, our rebellion, our de-godding of God, the debt's too great. We can never pay it. And there's no one else around to pay it either. Kevin can't come and pay my debt with God. 
The reason hell is forever is because we have no way to repay our debt. We have no way to resolve our problem with God. We don't have any ability to work our way out of the hole that we're in, the debt that we're in. And so if you stand before God, the judge, without having reached a plea agreement beforehand, you will be found guilty. You will be condemned to separation from God forever. You will have no chance for appeal. You will not get out. And people want to scrub this little inconvenient truth out of the Bible, but it cannot be done. It is there and it is clear. I don't like it any more than anybody else. But it's there. It's clear. And because of those sobering truths, here's the point that Jesus is making in all of this. It is vitally important that you have your debt with God settled before you stand in front of God to be judged. Your case is hopeless, so you better settle before you're standing in front of the judge. You get a much better deal if you settle before you're in front of him than if you arrogantly refuse to plead guilty, insist on going to trial, and taking your chances. We're tempted to take our chances. We're tempted to think that our defense will impress God. I, I believe this is a problem even with people who claim to, to understand the gospel. It's so insidious. We're tempted to think our I'm a pretty good person defense is really, when you get down to it, what God is concerned about. We, we think our I never killed anyone defense is going to be really impressive. You know, God lists out our our wrongs, our sins, all the ways we've dethroned him. Well, I never killed anyone. We think our I helped little old ladies across the street defense will get us somewhere with God. We think our, I know I did some things wrong, but I wasn't that bad. Defense will get us somewhere with God. We think our, well, I know I gossiped all the time, but I never thought a little destructive gossip was a big deal defense will get us somewhere with God. I mean, everybody does that. They were all speeding. Why am I here? God, everybody does that. Well, what's the deal? We're fooling ourselves with these things. The case against us is clear. It is compelling. It is overwhelming. We are rebellious, we are self-centered, we are wicked. We have over and over again ignored God's rightful rule of our lives. We have dethroned God in our lives. That is what sin is. We dethrone God. It is a rebellion against God. It's not a little mistake, even though we often think of it that way. We have dethroned God. We are guilty. God has an airtight case against every one of us. He has an airtight case against you, no matter how good you think you are. And if you get to judgment without a plea agreement, you are going down. You do not stand a chance. Evidence is overwhelming. 
This is what Jesus is telling them. It's what he's telling us. And he's hopeful that it will shake some sense into people. Those who heard him that day, those of us who are reading his words today, and that it will motivate us to not miss the wonderful opportunity that is presented to us in Jesus Christ. Just like the people then were failing to appreciate God's work of salvation in Christ that was happening right in front of them, some of us, even in this room today, are doing that same thing. God has been reaching out to you. God's been revealing himself to you. God's been dealing with you. And you're either not recognizing it, or worse, you're willfully rejecting it. Hear the words of Jesus today and decide, decide to plead before it's too late. And you're in front of the judge. Entitled today's message, Accept God's Plea Offer, God has presented every person on earth a plea offer, a plea bargain. It's an opportunity that's too good to pass up. God has provided all of us, God has provided you, with a gracious offer for resolving your hopeless case before you stand in front of the judge. There are a variety of things we can say about it and that I am going to say about it, but at its essence, the plea bargain God offers you is Jesus. It's Jesus. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You're as guilty as guilty can be. You have a hopeless case before God, but God loves you so much and loves you so much that he provided Jesus to take the penalty that was rightfully yours. That's why Jesus endured crucifixion on a Roman cross. And here's the plea offer that God extends to anyone who will take it. First, he wants you to plead guilty to the charges against you. That's, that's the starting point of almost all the plea offers in these dramas that we watch. You've got to plead guilty. And God wants you to plead guilty to the charges against you because you are guilty. You have sinned. You violated God's commands. You've rejected God's rule in your life. You've dethroned God and set yourself up on his throne. This is how we need to think about sin. Removing God from his throne and sitting down on his throne. That's what sin is. No matter how comfortable we get with it, no matter how comfortable I get with it, no matter how comfortable you get with it, that is, at its essence, what sin is. And so God says that you have to admit your guilt. John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every wrong. If, if, if we confess if we admit our guilt, 
You can foolishly cling to your weak defense, whatever it is, I'm pretty good, I never killed anyone, whatever it is. But you will not benefit from the plea offer that God offers you if you foolishly cling to that weak, hopeless defense. You have to admit your guilt. And once you're willing to admit your guilt, God asks you to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose again, showing that his work on the cross accomplished all that it was supposed to for your benefit. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You have to admit your guilt, and you have to believe in Jesus. You have to come to the place where you recognize that Jesus is the only answer for your problem. Jesus is the only plea offer on the table. So the offer includes admitting your guilt. It includes recognizing Jesus for who he is, embracing the truth about Jesus, admitting your need for the salvation that he provides. And once you've admitted guilt and believe that Jesus is the answer to your hopeless case before God, then God wants you to actually ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior. Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Having admitted your guilt, believe Jesus to be the answer to your hopeless case before God, and having asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, God then assures you that you're a recipient of his costly to Jesus, but free to you, gift of salvation. You don't have to try to earn your way with God anymore. You can simply rejoice in having been the recipient of this wonderful offer. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 assure us of this. It is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So this is God's plea bargain, his plea offer that he extends to all of us. This is the offer that God extends to everyone who needs it today, which is everyone who hasn't already received it. And yet, here's what many people do. They look at God's offer, they consider their hopeless case, and they say, I think I'll take my chances. They know they're guilty. You know you're guilty. But people every day reject this too-good-to-pass-up opportunity and decide to take their chances with their I'm-a-pretty-good-person defense. And they persuade themselves that that's going to get them through the final judgment. Friends, this is nothing but assuring yourself disaster. Because listen, while it is sin that separates us from God in a very real sense, it isn't so much sin that's going to condemn a person to hell as it is their rejection of God's extravagantly gracious plea offer. 
to look at your hopeless case, to consider God's gracious offer, and to decide to take your chances, I believe can only mean one of two things. Either that a person somehow is just not understanding it, like they're just not connecting the dots. It's either that, or the person is extremely arrogant. Jesus, when he gave this teaching, was speaking to people who were missing his salvific activity that was taking place right in front of them. And through the Bible today, Jesus is speaking to people, some, I don't know how many, but he's speaking to some here today who have continually missed either ignorantly, and I don't mean that in an insulting, insulting way, but just like you just haven't thought about it, you ha like you, you haven't grasped it, or willfully, you're missing it. One of these ways, you're, you're missing God's activity in your life. What God is offering you, this wonderful deal that God has extended to you. And the advice that Jesus gave people in that situation is the advice he gives people in that situation today through his word. He's appealing. You have to reach agreement before you get to court. Please. You've got to settle your case before God before you stand in front of him in judgment. Don't see this hopeless case through. And I appeal to you today. If you're here having never accepted God's offer of salvation, I appeal to you to do so today. You cannot escape God's jurisdiction. Judgment is headed your way. You will stand in front of the judge. Your case is bad. You have no defense. If you stand before God not having accepted his plea offer, you will be thrown into prison eternally and you will not get out because you will never be able to pay your debt. In 2021, many have persuaded themselves that what the Bible says about such things really doesn't mean what it clearly means. People treat this kind of sermon and scriptures that these kind of sermons are based on as an outdated relic of a bygone era. But this is the truth. Judgment is coming. <laughs> judgment is coming. And if you haven't settled before you get in front of the judge, you're going to be found guilty. Never be able to pay off your debt. So heed the words of Jesus. Accept God's plea offer. There may be some of you here today, I, I don't know, but this is just something that occurred to me, so I thought I'd talk about it as I wrap this up. There may be some here today who might be tempted to ask, you know, why a message like this to a group of people who are virtually all professing Christians? You know, there might be a person or two, a few people here today that are not professing Christians, but, but virtually this whole room, it's probably fair to say, are people who profess faith in Christ. And so there are two reasons for a message like this, at least two. The first is that a message like this is worth preaching if there is only one person here today 
who has never received God's gracious offer of salvation. So one person is worth all of the rest of us sitting through a very familiar message that we might be tempted to think, heard it, done it, not sure why I needed that again. But there is another reason. I've become convinced that churches are full of professing Christians who really aren't. Sorry, it's just what I believe. They are the people, 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, are the kind of people that will be plentiful in the last days. People who are always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Churches are full of people, always learning, never coming to a knowledge of the truth. People sit in churches, hear the gospel preached year after year, nod in agreement, but never really get born again, never really become converted. They say they're Christians, but they're really, big words coming, they're really moralistic, therapeutic, deists. So you're going to have to explain that one. Okay, I will. <laughs> they believe a God exists who created the world and watches over life on earth. They believe God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most other world religions. They believe the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. They don't believe God needs to be particularly involved in one's life except when a problem arises and God is needed. And here I would say is the greatest identifier of a moralistic therapeutic deist. They believe that good people like them go to heaven when they die. Churches are full of people who hear the gospel year after year. Some who may have even raised their hand at some point to the invitation to receive Jesus. And yet at a fundamental level, they continue to believe and they continue to conduct themselves as if it's good people like them who go to heaven when they die. That is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. And if that is the basis of your relationship with God, you are going to be in bad shape when you stand before God, the righteous judge. Because here's the truth. Your goodness, my goodness. Your righteousness, my righteousness. If our best day was how we lived every day, all of that, the Bible tells us, is as filthy rags to God. When we lift up before God 
the righteous judge of the earth, our goodness. It is an insult to holy God. Accept me, God, because I'm good. I'm at least better than them. It's an insult to holy God. In long-term, self-professed Christian, sometimes long-term, self-professed Christians are really trusting in their goodness. So, to you, room full of long-term, self-professed Christians, Have you been truly converted? Are you truly born again? Or are you a moralistic, therapeutic deist calling yourself a Christian? And so whether you're here today never having heard the message of the gospel before, or you've heard it over and over and over again, And yet it's never actually gotten through to you. I appeal to you today, heed the words of Jesus. Don't take your I'm a pretty good person case before God, the righteous judge. Admit what is true about yourself. You are a sinner. You stand in need of a savior. You have a hopeless case before God, the judge. And so accept God's plea offer. Stop clinging to this illusion that you're a good person. Admit what is true. You're a rebellious overthrower of God's rightful rule. Admit that. Recognize your need of Jesus and receive Christ today. Those thrown in debtor's prison in Jesus' time could rarely get out unless someone paid their debt for them. We can never repay our debt with God, but Jesus has paid it for us so that we can be free. So admit the truth. Accept the plea offer. Get free today. Why don't you stand?